Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast, insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Good afternoon, or good morning, or good evening, wherever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Now, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to keep us all working from home, really more like living at work, we know you may be tuning in for this update at any hour of the day from almost anywhere around the country or the world. We thank you for listening and allowing us to share a few of our views on what we see as one of the most pivotal pieces of legislation that we've seen in decades, California's independent contractor law, AB5. I'm Bruce Sarche, a member of Littler's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI, and I'm joined by my shareholder and WPI colleagues, Michael Latito and Jim Peretti. And it may be a sad sign of the current state of affairs or of our own mental health that all three of us are actually excited to be recording today to discuss an issue that is not related to COVID all day, all the time. Now, it's been about a year since WPI published its task force report on AB5, California's landmark independent contractor law. And in just the last six months, it's fair to say that just about everything that wasn't COVID-related took a backseat. But while many businesses were closed, the California legislature and our courts have largely remained open. And our attorney general has been active here in the Golden State as well, along with signature gatherers or ballot initiatives for our upcoming election on November 3rd. So we at WPI thought now would be a good time to, number one, reflect on what has happened in the last 12 months, and number two, take a look at the legislative changes to AB5 that we expect will become law very shortly, and number three, take a look ahead at where we may be going. Jim. Thanks, Bruce. We have a lot to cover in a short time today. We're going to briefly review how we got to where we are with the California State Supreme Court's Dynamex decision and then enactment by the state legislature of AB5. Next, we'll talk about what's been happening with respect to AB5 since it went into effect on January 1st and the proposed amendment to the law that, as you just mentioned, we expect will take effect very shortly. Third, we'll talk about how COVID has not stopped the Golden State from actively enforcing this new law, even during a pandemic. And finally, since it is election year and everything is political, we'll talk about an important state ballot initiative that may change how AB5 impacts at least some platform-based service providers. I should say up front that while we'll be touching on these issues today, our detailed analysis of the current status of AB5, including the most recent changes made by the state legislature, which the governor is expected to sign, is contained in a white paper recently released on our website, www.littler.com. Michael, before we dig into the substance today, do you have any thoughts to start us off? Well, Jim, I've got a lot of thoughts about AB5, but I'll spare our listeners from most of them. I do think it's important to say, however, that in the decades that I've been practicing labor and employment law, I believe AB5 is probably one of the most significant and transformative pieces of legislation that I've encountered in terms of how it may fundamentally restructure how employers do business and the impact on their freelancers. I would put the issue of contractor classification up there with the Civil Rights Act of 1991, which created jury trials and punitive damages 
for discrimination cases. And then, of course, the elimination of the at-will employment doctrine, when courts started saying, hey, guess what? If you put something in your employee handbook, you have to mean it. Go figure. But you'll hear more from me on that later. Jim, why don't you start us off with some background on AB5 and independent contracting in the Golden State? And how on earth did we get here, or am I really on Mars? Uh, thanks, Michael. Nope, you are on Earth, for better or for worse. Uh, last year around this time, the California legislature was debating AB5. Now, that was a bill based on an earlier ruling by the California Supreme Court, Dynamex Operations West versus Superior Court. In Dynamex, the court abandoned the previous test for determining independent contractor status, uh, known as the Borrello test, and Borrello had focused on the right of a would-be employer to control the activities of the worker. In Dynamex, the court rejected Borrello, which had been good law for 30 years, and instead borrowed state law from Massachusetts and imposed the so-called ABC test on California businesses. Now, it's important to note that Dynamex, with all its laws, was limited to state wage orders, meaning it would have been possible for the same worker to be an employee for the purposes of wage orders, but a contractor for purposes of unemployment insurance, workers' comp, and other provisions of the labor code. Uh, the Dynamex decision was also potentially retroactive, a question that is being actively litigated to this day. But long story short, Dynamex left many questions unanswered and many in the California business community deeply concerned about the impact of the decision on their operations. Now, when the Supreme Court handed down this decision, there was quite the public outcry that reclassifying contractors as employees was not a job for courts, but rather a decision that should be made by the elected state legislature. Well, as the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. Uh, the California legislature agreed. Uh, they should be the ones to make these decisions, and they decided that they would codify and expand the reach of Dynamex by way of AB5. So in that bill, not only did the legislature adopt the ABC test for determining whether a worker was a contractor or an employee under state wage orders, but also for unemployment insurance, workers' comp, and other provisions of the California Labor Code. In short, AB5 was a massive expansion of the Dynamex decision. Bruce, I'm going to toss it to you. Can you give us the, uh, the ABCs of the ABC test? Under the ABC test, or modified ABC test, as you might call it, uh, as applied here in California, workers are presumed to be employees. All right, that's the presumption. Unless the putative employer, the business, if you would, can show and prove all three, all three of the following conditions. A, the individual is free from control and direction in connection with the performance of the service, both under the contract for the performance of service and in fact. B, the service is performed outside the usual course of the business of the employer and C, the individual is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, profession, or business of the same nature as that involved in the service performed. Now, one point bears mentioning here. Other states have also adopted the ABC test primarily for purposes of determining eligibility for unemployment insurance benefits. That's why above I said it's a modified ABC test in California because it's modified from those states' versions of the test. Those states typically include two parts 
to the B prong. Under the two-part B prong analysis, the business can show either that the service is outside their usual course of business or that the work is performed away from the premises of the business. California, like Massachusetts, eliminated the second part of the B prong. Accordingly, it's probably appropriate, as I said before, to call California's version of the ABC test the modified ABC test. Okay, so when I first looked at AB5, something struck me immediately. You've heard the phrase that the exceptions swallow the rule. Well, not true here, but there are a ton of exceptions in AB5. So I had my computer count the actual words in the law. AB5 uses approximately 130 words to describe the ABC test, but it takes approximately 3,478 words to describe the 41 exceptions to the law. For example, lawyers. Lawyers get an exception to the ABC test of AB5. Not surprisingly, much of the debate around AB5 centered on whether or not a particular business or a particular occupation qualified for an exception. It's also a little misleading to call these exceptions, because if you qualify for one of these exceptions, say you're a lawyer, that does not mean that you are automatically classified as an independent contractor. Instead, it means that you get to use the old test, the Borello test, to determine whether you are an employee or a contractor. And in fact, this was the test that the California Supreme Court rejected in dynamics and said was no good. Hey, Bruce, I, I, I don't want to you know, slow down your flow here, and I've already taken a couple of Tylenol to try to get through it, but I have to tell you, this sounds completely arbitrary to me. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Who gets an exception and who doesn't? Is it based upon whether or not I wear eyeglasses and you don't, or who's got a better lobbyist? I mean, how, how did they figure that out? Well, you're not the only one to come to that conclusion, Michael. These exceptions have been criticized, roundly criticized, as being somewhat arbitrary. In fact, the Senate Labor Committee vice chair noted last summer when the bill was being considered, and I quote, in all of these carve-outs, you are picking winners and losers. So can you walk me through the process of why you are doing it that way and how you, how you process who wins and who loses, who gets favoritism and who loses out? Uh, that's a direct quote from a California state senator when the bill was in committee. And now even the bill's supporters at the time recognized that AB5 had many flaws. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, the sponsor of AB5, noted while the bill was being considered that, quote, we probably won't fix it for everybody this time. We'll be working on this for a few years to get to those situations, close quote. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. Well, it's, to me, uh, Bruce, it's not an endorsement at all, but I'm comforted by the fact that Ms. Gonzalez got one thing right. AB5 is sure a work in progress there's just no question about that. But while we're working in progress, there are real employers and tens of thousands of freelancers and gig workers in this state who really need certainty in order to figure out how to arrange their business arrangements. And I got to tell you, 
with all of these unanswered questions, it doesn't give me a warm feeling inside my heart that we're giving them much guidance. Uh, that's a really good point, Michael. It's also a good time to note that, you know, while the debate around AB5 has been discussed in terms of the gig economy and companies that work on platforms, the bill is sweeping in its scope and its coverage. Unless you qualify for an exception, AB5 applies to virtually every business in the state. So not surprisingly, it raises a host of issues for all sorts of California businesses, not just on-demand or gig economy companies. So given how much turmoil this uh, legislation potentially can bring, it's probably not surprising that almost immediately after AB5 became effective, we already started seeing proposals to change the law. Bruce, you want to give us the lay of the land on that front? Well, I'm happy to, Jim. Only days after AB5 became effective, legislators began introducing bills seeking to amend key provisions of the new law. At one point in early 2020, there were at least 31 different bills seeking to modify or completely repeal AB5. Over time, those bills have been distilled into a single vehicle, AB2257. Now, while AB 2257 has not yet been signed by the governor, it was passed out of the legislature on the final day of the session. AB 2257 makes a number of changes to AB 5, which we discuss in detail in the white paper that Jim referenced earlier. We've also created a legislative format version of 2257, which is available at littler.com. Uh, today, though, we're going to highlight in this podcast a few key takeaways. First, 2257 changes the so-called business-to-business exception originally contained in AB5. As written, the B2B exception has been criticized by many employment lawyers as being pretty much unworkable. The test contains so many intertwined and overlapping requirements that essentially many businesses here in the Golden State simply gave up and did not try to shoehorn themselves into this exception. AB 2257 tries to clean up this exception. For example, specifying that the exception applies where a service provider can contract with other businesses to provide the same services to other vendors, but not that the service provider must be providing these services to others. On the other hand, other parts of the B2B exception seem to say that a service provider can only fit in the exception if it is regularly contracting with other businesses. So as we spell out in more detail in our report, it's still not exactly clear what the scope of the exception is going to be, and parts of the business-to-business exception remain confused, such that the bill may not do exactly what it appears to have intended to do. Uh, Bruce, that comes as no big surprise to me. I mean, even when the legislature seems to try to fix something that they knew needed fixing when they first passed it, they still don't completely fix it because they leave things unanswered. So that means we'll have to see how the B2B exception plays out in practice. But there's one thing I know for sure. We will have more lawsuits because this is California where everybody has their own lawyer and everybody sues everybody. So thank you for the legislature in making certain that our lawyers stay busy. And Jim, we haven't even talked about the referral agency issue under 2257. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. 
Uh, sure, Michael. AB5 originally accepted certain referral agencies from the ABC test. Uh, instead, instead, they were subject to the Borello test. However, under AB5, referral agencies were strictly limited to a number of specified occupations, such as graphic design, tutoring, uh, even dog walking. AB 2257 adds some additional industries to that list of exceptions, but more important, it provides the referral exception includes, but is not limited to, those businesses on the accepted list. Um, put another way, it leaves room for businesses that are not specified by you know, industry type to come within the exception. Now, how courts and administrative agencies will decide whether a certain business or industry model falls within the list, that's not at all clear. On the other hand, uh, the referral agency exception included in 2257 contains a number of express exclusions. So the referral business exception does not include a number of specified industries, including high hazard industries, janitorial, uh, retail, and home care. So while they give it with one hand, they're taking away with the other. Finally, there's more than a little ambiguity about how you can set up your accounting systems to actually derive a profit. Under 2257, uh, it says that it's permissible for a referral agency to charge a business a fee for using the service, but it's impermissible for the agency to deduct fees from the payment to the service provider. Okay, does that just mean it's simply a matter of what you call your transaction charge? If I call it a fee, I'm okay, but if I call it a deduction from the service provider, it's not okay? Uh, the law is not at all clear on that point. We saw a similar situation with the freelance writer and photographer exception, which was one of the more controversial provisions of AB5. Under the law as passed, uh, it required that after 35 submissions in a year to a single publisher, uh, a freelance writer or photographer uh, would then become an employee of the publisher. And even the sponsor of AB5 recognized that the number 35 was pulled out of thin air and was a you know, completely arbitrary cutoff. So the good news is AB 2257 eliminates the 35 per year submission limit and then replaces it with a multi-factor standard that requires a contract that specifies the rate of pay and intellectual property rights, provides so long as the writer or photographer is not working at the hiring entity's business location uh, and is allowed to submit more to more than one publishing venue, uh, then they may fit within the exception. But again, there's a caveat. The new exception requires that a publisher may not use contractors to replace the work being done by its employees. Okay, that's fine, but what does that mean when you're an online publisher and most, if not all, of your content is developed by contractors? So again, it seems with 2257, we take one step forward and two steps back. I mean, I think it's a better, we're in a better place than we were with respect to the referral agency exception under the new law but there's still a lot of uncharted ground there that I think, Michael, you're exactly right. We're just going to see more and more lawsuits. Bruce, I mentioned there were a couple of things that AB 2257 doesn't cover. What are some of the key points that the bill fails to address this time around? Sure thing, Jim. Uh, like you said, many important legal issues are just unaddressed by AB 2257. The bill doesn't talk about whether the ABC test applies or does not apply to the relationship between a franchisor and its franchisees. This question has been the subject of an enormous amount of debate and litigation. AB 2257 also doesn't address the serious concerns raised by the trucking industry with regard to the independent owner-operator model. 
Indeed, the referral agency service provider exception expressly states that it does not apply to the transportation industry. The bill doesn't address the question of retroactivity of AB5, a giant question, how far back does liability go? And of course, the bill fails to mention the gig economy at all. It's been noted that independent contractor work helped lift the U.S. economy out of the Great Recession of 2008. With U.S. unemployment continuing to hover at 10% and a prolonged recession likely in our future, contractor work again could help to regrow our economy if only given a chance. But nothing in AB 2257 changes how AB 5 restricts these gig economy companies. Finally, and probably most importantly, 2257 doesn't alter our current path. The path set by the ABC test, AB5, and these exceptions. Frankly, the ABC test seems to want to freeze our economy at a certain point in time. Its rigidity, it's likely to hamper innovation and the development of new business models in the future. Creating new ways to provide services and products is really the essence of economic innovation. But the imposition of a single, inflexible test restricts the ability of businesses to reinvent themselves. This is the path of AB5. I'm sorry to say, my friends, but 2257 looks like it's just another step along that same path. Bruce and Jim, when legislatures fail to enact laws that provide certainty, direction, and understanding for the average person to appreciate, there are serious consequences. One consequence that we've discussed is litigation. But another consequence is that businesses might decide to relocate to a state where it can innovate, where it can create, where it can reinvent itself, where it can respond proactively to an economy that is now a creature of the pandemic and as you said, a potential long-term recession. The Federal Reserve has told us that some 30% of workers in the country get some of their income as a result of doing gig freelance work. So when the legislature does what it does, we know that some companies have left. We know that other companies have said, if we have to make this conversion, there's gonna be substantial changes with respect to our markets and substantial changes with respect to employees as opposed to independent contractors working for us and much of the flexibility that they currently enjoy may very well go away. So let me see if I get this right, because it's pretty important. What I'm hearing is that this state law pretty much guts the business models of hundreds of gig economy platforms and businesses. It seems to me that's not a good thing to do in the midst of a recession. It's not a good thing to do for the freelancers that depend upon this type of work. It's not a good thing to do for the companies that are impacted. But you know what? Is it even legal? Uh, well, Michael, you are not the only person to ask that question. In fact, 
almost a half dozen lawsuits have been filed in California challenging AB5 on a range of grounds, including that it violates the U.S. and California state constitutions, um, that it constitutes an interference with contract. Uh, there's a number of theories of legal challenges that are working their way through the courts. Now, to date, unfortunately, most of these claims have not succeeded in the lower courts, although a number are on appeal, and we expect that decisions from both federal and state appeals courts will follow. So this, this saga in the courts is going to continue to play out. But you are not the first person to ask, how can one law so fundamentally reshape the legal landscape? Now, important to note that even prior to the law's effective date, San Diego County had sued one platform-based grocery delivery company, alleging that it misclassified its in-store shoppers as contractors rather than employees. In February, the trial court concluded that the state was likely to prevail on its argument that these workers are classified as employees under Dynamex, while recognizing that, quote, there is room to debate the wisdom, quote, of California's, quote, unapologetically pro-employee labor policies. Now, the court stayed enforcement of its injunction pending appellate court review, uh, so we'll have to wait to see what happens with that case. More recently, back in May, uh, the state attorney general sued two transportation network companies, alleging that they misclassified their drivers as independent contractors. Just at the beginning of August, the Superior Court granted the state's request for preliminary injunction. Later that month, the California District Court of Appeals stayed enforcement of the injunction pending resolution of the appeal. Basically said, we'll put the court's order on hold until we have our consideration of the case. However, the court imposed a somewhat novel requirement. Its stay is subject to the condition that defendants both submit a sworn statement from their CEOs confirming that they've developed implementation plans under which if the court affirms the preliminary injunction and Proposition 22, which we'll discuss shortly, fails to pass, these companies will be prepared to comply with the injunction uh, no more than 30 days after its issuance. Put another way, they're not allowing these companies to sort of hedge their bets. Uh, if to get the stay, they have to say they are prepared for what the final outcome will be. But as I mentioned, Proposition 22, which is something on the California ballot, uh, is sort of a linchpin to this equation. So, Michael, can you explain to us what exactly is Proposition 22 and why is it so important and relevant to uh, the resolution of these cases? Jim, Proposition 22 is a direct reaction to the uncertainty and the problems posed by AB5. It will probably be the most expensive proposition in California election history. We'll see whether or not it beats that level. But so far, reports are that 210 million has been put into this proposition. The people of California will be able to vote on this um, November the 3rd. It would exempt app-based rideshare and delivery drivers from the AB5 test. Now, let me be clear. It would exempt rideshare and delivery drivers from the AB5 test. It would not exempt anybody else. So we'd have an AB5 test for all of the other freelancers, but we would not have an AB5 test for rideshare, the so-called TNCs and the DNCs. Now, even though the TNCs and the DNCs would be exempted, they would be subject to a variety of conditions, such as different insurance being provided, minimum wage guarantees, freedom of drivers to set their own hours, you know, choose their rides, deliveries, much as they have now. Think of it as 
a different way of working with a recognition that we have to be flexible with the way we define work because that's the way people want to be defined. It's really a, a third wave, if you will. And it would be something that was extremely important, not only in California, but the rest of the country and quite frankly, the rest of the world. We've already discussed our double digit unemployment. We've already discussed the specter of a long recession. And let me just emphasize this. Workers need to work, but workers need to work oftentimes on their own terms whether it's because they have two or three children at home with distance learning, whether they're trying to balance other work-life family situations about caring for an ill relative or things of that nature, whether they're going to school and their schedules change. All of these kinds of things suggest maximum need for flexibility. And so Proposition 22 would try to give us that, which one would think that the legislature would already recognize and provide it, but they haven't. And that's what brought us to Proposition 22, and the results of this election are going to be extremely important. Now, nobody is gonna be able to predict, certainly not me, how this is all gonna get resolved. There are a multitude of moving parts. Proposition 22, yes or no? AB 2257, has the litigation gonna flow from 2257 in addition to the already litigation that we have from AB 5? Are there gonna be more civil enforcement actions? Almost certainly, because under 2257, any district attorney of any size city can go ahead and sue. The lawsuits challenging AB 5 are clearly gonna continue because somebody will make the argument that now those that are exempted and not exempted under 2257 are even more arbitrary than they were under AB5. And we don't even know whether or not the California Supreme Court is gonna make dynamic retroactive or not. So all of these different pieces are gonna interact in a multitude of unforeseen ways. Uncertainty, however, does not foster innovation. It does not give investors comfort. It does not promote economic growth. And it will likely restrict efforts to dig out of this economy that we're confronted with as a result of a worldwide pandemic. It also appears that the California version of the ABC test may gain traction in other states, and even at the federal level. Legislation similar to AB5 has been discussed in New York, along with alternatives which provide bargaining rights for independent contractors in the form of sectoral bargaining. New Jersey had fierce debates about ABC. There were no results last year, but it'll probably come back. The ABC test is part of the PRO Act, which was already passed by the House of Representatives along party line votes but was not taken up in the Senate, but depending upon what happens in the federal elections, could very well gain traction next year in both the House and the Senate. Rumors abound over other states contemplating legislative enactment, wondering if they should follow the California path or maybe promote advertisements that say, you're welcome to come here because we do believe in workplace flexibility. 
The path isn't at all clear to me right now, but we have a very serious problem, which brings me back to what I said at the outset. AB5, like it or not, supported or not, is transformational, just like the Civil Rights Act of 1991 was, and just like the erosion of the employment at will doctrine has been. All right, we will leave it there for now. So many unanswered questions. Now you might be able to tell, dear listeners, that Jim, Michael, and I, we care passionately about this law and, and what it means for California and beyond. So we'll be keeping up to date and we'll keep you up to date as well. So that means you should stay tuned to littler.com and the Workplace Policy Institute for further information on this and other topics important to those of us in the labor and employment law community. Thanks so much for joining us today. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.